want to ask you to go ahead and open up your Bibles to Ruth, the book of Ruth. It's on page 222 if you're using your pew Bible. It's very right in the beginning of the Bible. If you're not using a pew Bible and you're trying to figure it out, so think of the the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, uh, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, Numbers, right? Then you've got Joshua, then Judges, then Ruth. So it's pretty close to the beginning. And I want you to go ahead and, and uh, please do that. Turn there, follow along. We're going to read all of chapter one here. Sheila's going to do that for us. And this is set up for the sermon. So if you miss this, you're going to get a little lost as I get up and start preaching. So let's follow along as we hear the word of God. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, 
for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. That's chapter 1 of the book of Ruth. There are four chapters to Ruth, uh, and it's a beautiful love story. Uh, just getting the setup for it, and we'll talk more about the, the full picture of it, but the, the story of Ruth's life is a classic love story. It is a classic for all time, let alone in the Bible. Ruth makes her way into our study of, of women of faith for lots of good reasons, uh, but here's a few. Her story is one of only two books in the Bible named for a woman. What's the other one? Esther, very good. Yeah, it's one of two, uh, but the only one in the Bible named for a Gentile, uh, man or woman. Uh, she's the only one who has a book named after her, which I think is really significant and certainly very interesting. Uh, and it, the story itself is, is about, uh, Ruth. It's about Naomi. It's about Boaz. We'll find out. Uh, and ultimately, like everything that we're looking at, it, it's about God. But Ruth is the, is the main character of the story. She is the, the protagonist. And, uh, so again, unique, uh, not, entirely unique but but still unique in scripture to have a, a woman as the the protagonist and 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 one other thing i think is really interesting about this book is that it depicts the world really from a woman's point of view whether we're we're hearing ruth or naomi uh the the whole depiction here of this of the story is really from their point of view uh like rahab from last week we have a woman here who's very much from the margins of society uh, she doesn't share in Rahab's vocation. Uh, Rahab, remember, was a prostitute. Ruth was nothing of that sort. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, like Rahab, she was a Gentile. So here's a, here's a woman who is, again, not Jewish, uh, without the advantages that we talked about last week of, of what it would mean to be uh, an Israelite, the, to have the oracles of God uh, delivered to them, revealed to them. She was without uh, those advantages. She was a Moabite. Uh, remember last week, Rahab was an Amorite. We talked about them being a particularly wicked people. The, the Moabites were, were not that different. Uh, they were enemies, actually, of Israel. And they were uh, steeped in, in false pagan religion, uh, grotesque activities uh, involved in their worship, even to the point of, of human sacrifices. Uh, when we hear God's instructions for His people in Israel, who could and who could not be included in the assembly of the people of God, uh, the Moabites, like Ruth, were strictly forbidden from entering into the assembly of God. We see that in Deuteronomy chapter 23. So to have a book of the Bible named after a woman who we see God do some incredible work in her life and draw to Himself uh, is a, it's a miracle. Uh, it is a testament to the mercy and the grace of God. This is an unlikely convert, Ruth. She's an unlikely convert, and yet God had a sight set on her to redeem her and to be glorified in her, in her life and through her life uh, to the point even that he will establish a godly legacy 
uh, from Ruth's life. So beautiful, uh, beautiful story that we'll get to unpack together today. Let me, uh, before I pray and ask the Lord to bless, let me give you just two key themes to the, the book of Ruth. Uh, the two key themes in the story are this. It's kindness and redemption. Okay, we're going to see those words continue over and over again. Kindness and redemption. And we're going to look at both of those themes as the primary uh, outlines really of the sermon today in the lives of, of Ruth towards her mother-in-law, Naomi, which we've already heard as Sheila read it. We're going to see it in Ruth's love interest, Boaz. Uh, we'll be introduced to him in just a moment as, as we see uh, by God's grace, he redeems, he saves Ruth and Naomi through amazing grace and beautiful love. And then finally, we're going to look at the kindness, uh, really, and the redemption of God in Jesus Christ, because that's where this book is going to point us. So let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to just to reveal kindness and redemption through Jesus to us. Father, thank you for this book and the opportunity to take a look at the life of Ruth, your your servant, one whom you, Lord, did a, a wonderful redeeming work of grace in her life. And Father, as I have prepared this week and have thought so much about Ruth's life, of course, I, I think about my own life. I think about the lives of, of all of us who are here today. And maybe some specific lives, Lord, that, that you've placed on my own heart that I would just pray that, Lord, that today the Ruths among us would be encouraged. That we would see Your grace. That we would see Your loving kindness displayed towards Your own. And, and Father, that we would even learn what it looks like to, to live out a life of kindness and grace and redemption like Ruth did and like Boaz did. Lord, they're here as, as examples of what You do in a life. Not just to redeem it, but to make it a, a vessel. Lord, make us vessels of of Your image and Your glory in the world. So encourage us and work in us and transform us in the same way that we might have the legacy uh, that they had, Lord, that we would be lives that give You glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, I mentioned we're going to look at basically three things. The kindness of Ruth, the kindness of Boaz, and then the kindness of God. So we'll start off with this first point. The kindness of faith and faith of Ruth. And I'm I'm calling her the virtuous woman, and there's a reason for that. We'll come back to in a, in a moment, but but I think she's the picture of the virtuous woman. Uh, we saw in if you were listening to Sheila Reed, the first five verses of the book of Ruth set up some dark circumstances for Naomi's family, right? So we, we we're told here that that she's married to Elimelech, and that she's got these two sons, and they are Israelites, and they leave because of famine. And they head off into Moab in order to seek after some kind of fertile soil. They're, they're looking for food. They're looking for shelter and livelihood because things are so bad in Israel that they feel forced to do that. And I say that because I, I assume that they, that it had to be that bad to get Israelites like them to go and move across the border into an enemy territory, a territory in which, you know, God had called out as wicked. Uh, in order to find some sustenance, in order to make their way. And it's interesting as you read through different uh, commentaries and, and biblical scholars over the years who have analyzed what was going on here, what drove them to move into Moab, you, you get a couple of different ideas. And I, I don't know uh, 
which is true. I think both are probably true to some extent. The first one is that Elimelech was, was really a picture of unrighteousness. That he was being disobedient and faithless in moving his family away from God's people and God's land, even in the midst of a famine, to go into, you know, Gentile territory, Moab of all places, and pitch his tent and raise his family was an act of, of perhaps disobedience on his part. Um, that may be true. Uh, I mean, it, it, there's certainly elements of that we can say it would be true. Uh, but the other side of that coin is this, and, and I, I want us to at least give him this um, credit. When you're desperate to take care of your family, you'll do just about anything, won't you? I think about just how this even speaks to the refugee situation in our own day and age. Uh, when, when things are bad, people go to incredible lengths just to find some, some safety, right? To find a livelihood. Uh, and so I, I look at what's going on here and I, I, I certainly see at least that. This was a bad situation. Uh, and it, and it turned into an even worse situation because as they cross the border and they go into this new land in order to find some help in order to find a new way, they found death. He dies. And then the two boys, the sons, they die. And so Naomi has gone over. She says full and, and now empty. She's lost everything. Everything. And so here we have this incredibly dark scene, this dark setup and circumstances in Naomi, Naomi's life. What happens? Well, she's got these two daughters now. Uh, Moabite women, again, that was forbidden. Uh, her son shouldn't have done that, but they're raised around Moabites. They have no other uh, options for spouses. They marry Moabite wives. And she's got these two daughters-in-law, and she hears that the famine in Israel is, is lifted, that the Lord has visited His people, and she decides, look, it's bad here. Maybe it's better back over there. And they head back. And I want us to turn our attention to verse 8 because she says something to her daughters-in-law that sets up, again, a major theme for the book. Look again at verse 8 of chapter 1. Naomi says to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. This word kindly here, is the word in Hebrew, chesed. Maybe you've heard that word before. It's an important word in the Scriptures. Chesed is, it, it, it means kindness, but it, it means more than just kindness. You could, you could say it, it, it means loving kindness. We see it a lot in reference to the Lord and the loving kindness that He displays towards His people. It's, it's one thing to be kind to somebody. You can be kind to somebody that you, you, you don't know. I mean, maybe on the way here this morning, you let somebody you know, cross the stop sign before you did, or you, know, you let them onto the train before you got onto the train. That would be an act of kindness, right? But, but chesed is that loving kindness. It is a kindness rooted in a love for that person that, again, wants their their best. It's a, it's a, it's a love that demands, uh, an action on our part, right? A pouring out, a, a humbling, a laying down of oneself for the benefit of the other. And, and here's Naomi saying, look, my daughters-in-law, you've, you've shown that to, 
my husband and your husbands, as they've passed away, you've shown it to me. Let me return that to you and release you from any sense of obligation that you have to stay with me. I'm an old woman. I'm a widow. I've got no hope. If, if, if you want new husbands from me, even if I got married tonight and had sons, I mean, you're going to wait, right? And so she's encouraging them to, to go. Uh, and we get this picture of, of loving kindness, of hesed that begins to spring forth. And, and then we see that, that we see a picture of Ruth and her hesed towards Naomi begins to really be displayed. It begins to be unfolded here. Let's look at verses 15 to 18 again. I want you to see Ruth's reaction again to her mother-in-law and contrast it with uh, the other sister, Orpah. Verse 15. And she said, this is Naomi to Ruth, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. So Orpah says, okay, I'm out, I'll go. Uh, Ruth has clung to Ruth, to uh, Naomi though. Verse 16, but Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also of anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. This is an incredible uh, offer on Ruth's part. And Naomi has spoken truthfully. You, you, if you attach yourself to me, you're attaching yourself to someone who's empty and who has no prospects for the future. You're young. You've got an opportunity here to, to go back home, to start over, to get a new spouse. I mean, you get a do-over here, Ruth, that I don't get. Attaching yourself to me is, a, is essentially, I think in Naomi's mind, very literally a death sentence. And yet here Ruth says, no, I am not only going to attach myself to you, but I will attach my life to the point of death. Right? I am going wherever you go. And what's beautiful about this is that there's a contrast between Orpah and Ruth in their point of decision that speaks to Ruth's conversion and faith right what does naomi say go back to your mothers go back to your gods to go back to moab would would be to go back to the pagan society right this false religion and 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 orpah says okay you know i'm going back there wasn't an attachment there but ruth says not only am i attached to you naomi but your god will be my god which tells me something about the family life uh, of, of Naomi and her husband and the two sons. I, despite the fact that they left Israel and gone into Moab, they, they must have told Ruth about the God that they served because she knew something of this God, enough to know that this God was the God that she would put her faith in, which is a remarkable thing to say because again, on a human level, she's putting her faith in, in someone, Naomi, who looks like is going to lead her to nowhere. But on a spiritual level, she's saying, no, but I'm trusting in your God, Naomi. There's a sense in which she's saying, Naomi, I think your God is bigger than all of this. Your God will be my God, and I'll entrust my life to this God. She was entrusting her life to a God that she knew very little of, much like Rahab last week. 
And yet, she knew what she was walking away from. That's important. She knew what she was walking away from. What's in Moab for me? It's the false gods. What's in Israel for me? This true God. This one that I've heard about. Right? She knew what she was walking away from. And in doing that, not just walking away from the false gods, but again, walking away from every sense of earthly security that anyone could promise her at that time. That path looked to be the wide path. It looked to be the path of opportunity. On an earthly level, it seemed like everything good lied back there with the false gods. But she knew enough to say, no, I know what I'm walking away from, as if to say, I know that that is not fullness. I'm willing to go towards the narrow path. It looks empty, but I believe what's on the other side is not empty. That's faith, right? I just said the wide and the narrow path. It's reminiscent of what Jesus said about about faith, right? There's a, there's a wide path that leads to destruction, and many enter that way. It looks good on the outside. There's a narrow path, and few find it, but it leads to life. And that's the moment of conversion. That's the moment of saving faith when we take that step into the narrow path and we entrust our lives into a God that we may not be able to see. We certainly can't see all the blessings, but we know enough to say, I'm going to go that way because God, you're bigger than what's obvious. And this is what Ruth does. She didn't really know what she was walking into. Would she be rejected? That was a very real question that she would have to ask. I'm a Moabite woman. If she knew anything about Deuteronomy 23 and what her family had been telling her about the God of the Hebrews, she would know, I'm not allowed in the assembly. They're not allowed to associate with me. They're certainly not allowed to marry a woman like me. What am I going into? Will I be rejected? Will my life be harder? It seems hard to imagine that it could get harder than what it was, but it, in all realistic human perspective, it should have gotten harder. She knew what she was walking away from. She didn't really know what she was walking into. And yet, we see this hased towards Naomi, a self-giving picture of true love. An example of the love of God towards others. She says to Naomi, no, I will never leave you or forsake you. And I think you can only say that somehow believing that God was saying that back to her. Ruth, I will never leave you or forsake you. But what makes Ruth an example, and a beautiful example of faith, why is she a hero of the faith? Because what she just did right there is the ultimate picture of what faith looks like. Regardless of your circumstances, right? when, when things are, are, are just at their end, you're at the end of the rope, and, and it, it's just, Faith to believe that, that this God that you've heard about is bigger than these circumstances. That, that what looks most obvious in the world's perspective is something that you need to turn from and entrust your life to in the hands of a God that you don't really know what you're walking into. You can't really know exactly what you're walking into, but you do it because you believe in your heart of hearts that it's good, that He's good, and that His people are the people to whom you should and must belong. And this is what she's done, and this is what faith looks like for us today. That's why they call it faith. 
You can't figure it all out. You're never going to know and you're never going to have it laid out for you that all your circumstances are going to be improved upon if you just follow Jesus. It's a leap of faith to do that. It is an entrusting of your life to one where you you know it's a narrow way and you're believing that it leads to life. And you do. And that's Ruth. So we see the kindness, the hasad, and the faith of Ruth who's a virtuous woman doing something entirely selfless and Christ-like. Secondly, we're going to look at the faith of Boaz. What is she walking into? Well, God has a plan for her. The kindness and faith of Boaz await her on the other side. He is what we'll call the righteous man. I want you to look at chapter 2. and I'm going to read the whole thing, so please follow along with me. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who is in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves of the reapers. So she came. And she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I'm not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain. She ate until she was satisfied. And she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean. And do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an epah of barley, and she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? Where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. 
She told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living for the dead. That's chesed again. Naomi also said to her, this man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest and Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with this, with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and the wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. All right, so you get more of the story. We see Boaz now coming into the picture. Uh, this man who shows an incredible chesed, kindness again to Ruth. Uh, before I get into that, though, I want to focus in on the second theme. The first theme was kindness. The second theme of the book is redemption, right? Redeeming. And we hear Naomi say when Ruth says, oh, it was Boaz who I was working with. Naomi says to her, this is a relative and he is one of our redeemers. What does that mean? Well, the role of the kinsman redeemer is found in Leviticus chapter 25. And here's the way that that whole situation would work. In the case of an Israelite man's death, if he failed to leave behind a son, he failed to leave behind an heir, his brother was then commanded to take his widow as his own wife. And both the uh, responsibility to redeem the deceased man's land and also to provide a son to his widow uh, fell then on the brother. This was called the kinsman redeemer. This, you know, in a society like this, uh, this, this widow would have had nothing and no way really to, pr- to produce her own livelihood. And so God provided for widows in that way. A brother will take her in, take the land, provide an heir, and she'll be able to live on. Uh, and the legacy of the deceased brother will be able to live on. It was a, a, a an act of grace and kindness for God for his people. And this is what Boaz's position is in the family. Uh, he is, by, by Ruth, uh, excuse me, by Naomi's uh, admission here in chapter 2, verse 20, uh, one of their redeemers. It's his responsibility to do this for Ruth. And Ruth is going to plead for Boaz to do it. Now, I can't read all of chapters 3 and 4. It would take up all of our time. But let me just give you the, the Cliff Notes version of what happens next. So it's, it's really kind of an interesting thing. So Naomi recognizes Boaz's role as a redeemer. And so Naomi begins to uh, do the, the, the mother-in-law thing, right? She begins to scheme a little bit with Ruth. And she's like, look, here's, here's what we're going to do, all right? You're going to get this guy to notice you and take you in. And so she de- develops this plan for Ruth to uh, to go in after Boaz has had his dinner and his wine and he's feeling good and goes down to rest. And she says, look, you're going to lay down at his feet. You're going to uncover his feet. You're going to lay at his feet. And you're going to basically ask him to marry you by evoking this, hey, you're, you're a redeemer, redeem me uh, clause, right? And so that's what she does. Ruth does this thing. She goes in and she lays down at his feet as he's resting and he wakes up in the middle of the night and he's, of course, a little startled. There's a woman laying down at his feet and he says, who is this? And she says, I'm, I'm Ruth. I'm the one who's been in your field. I'm the one you've been so kind to. And she says, spread your wings over me 
In other words, she's, she's now saying, redeem me. You are one of our redeemers. And his reaction to this is, is really beautiful. He, he's kind of shocked. And he, he says, thank you for asking me. There, you're a young woman. You could have gotten a, a young guy, which I am not. But, but the fact that you would come and ask me, uh, I think he was incredibly flattered and just saw that as said as kindness towards him. Uh, and he says to her, I'm going to do this for you. I, I'd be honored to do this for you, but I'm not the first in line. There's a closer redeemer who has priority here. And so we've got to go to him first and, and give him the opportunity. And so Boaz says, I'm going to do that first thing tomorrow. And she goes home and she tells Naomi, he, she's loaded up with, with tons of food. And she tells Naomi what happened. And Naomi says, yeah, he's got to go do that. He's got to ask this other redeemer. Um, so he goes and, and, uh, and he, he sees the elders at the gate and this redeemer, this closer relative sitting there. And he goes and says, look, uh, you've got this, this land that has priority. You're, you have priority to take if you want to redeem the land. Naomi's son's land. And this closer relative's like, sure. I'll take it. Yeah, you bet. I'll, I'll buy that land off of her. And then Boaz says, oh, one more thing though. If you do that, you've got to take the widow. You've got to take his wife, Ruth. Uh, and she's got to become your wife and you've got to produce an heir. And then the guy's like, oh, well, I can't. Because if I do that, I'll somehow jeopardize my own inheritance. I, I can't redeem. And so Boaz says, I'll do it. And he goes to the elders, and, and the, the custom was to take off your sandal and to hand it over. That was sort of like a contract. And he takes the sandal off. He says, I'm going to redeem Ruth and the land, and I'm going to redeem Naomi's family line. And they said, God bless you. Right? We know something about this woman Ruth. May, may she be like Rachel and Leah to Israel. May, may she be a blessing to this people. They receive her based on her testimony of, I will follow your God. And her coming with her mother-in-law into the land and, and basically asking to become one of God's people there. They, they extend to her that acknowledgement that she's one of us. And they welcome her in and they say, Marry her, Boaz. And that's exactly what he does. He marries her and they live happily ever after. Uh, I'll come back to that. There's more to the story. But that's chapters 3 and 4 in a nutshell. Now, here's what I wanted to just highlight for just a couple minutes. Just the, 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 the kindness then of Boaz uh, in kind to Ruth and the Hesed that she had shown to him and to Naomi. Being the godly man that he is, he receives her offer, right? He receives it with joy. He, he goes through this right process, though, of, of following the law and giving opportunity to this other uh, re redeemer, this closer relative. Uh, but again, through the series of events, the door opens for God to, to let Boaz be this one. And, 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 and this is what he has done. Uh, in order to, to demonstrate that loving kindness to Ruth. Uh, and I, and I want to say this up front. If you're, uh, if you're a man, and about half of you, pay attention. <laughs> this is, this is how a godly man cares for a woman. And if, if you're a woman, I hope you're paying attention with Ruth. We'll come back to her. But, but if, if, if you're wondering how a man ought to treat you, 
especially if you're single and you're thinking about getting married, wait for this guy, okay? Wait for this guy. Uh, firstly, he offered her protection, right? Uh, he could have taken advantage of her and was concerned that others would do the same. You might be assaulted. Don't leave this field. If you go out elsewhere, uh, because of who you are, you're a foreigner, you're a, you're a marginalized woman in this place, uh, it's, it is likely impossible for you to be assaulted and taken advantage of. Not only am I going to make sure that you are, have protection here by staying on my property, I'll give you everything you need, I'm also making sure that all my guys know they touch you, they're toast, right? So he protects her. In verse 9 and verse 22, he offers her provision and was generous towards her. When we see these measurements of food and we see, we see these words, uh, of old, old, you know, ancient measurements, we don't understand what that means. But if you, if you do the calculations and you figure it out, I mean, he, he loaded her up and Naomi, uh, by extension with everything that they could have needed. When it says that he, he took her garment and he, he measured it out and he, he basically saw how much grain could fit on there, uh, we're, we're told that the, the modern equivalent measurement of that would have been 22 liters of grain. So if you have a two liter of soda and you filled that up with grain and you took 11 of those and somehow mounted that on your shoulders to go home, you got a lot of food, right? And not only that, but then whatever was left over from what she had already eaten, take that too. There was a generosity and a care for her uh, that, that he showed. Uh, he comforted and encouraged her. Beautiful thing, right? I mean, she's got... She's got every reason to be anxious. Uh, she's got reason to be very concerned about her well-being and her future. And he comforts and encourages her. He loved and valued not only her, but her mother-in-law. He loved her mom, right? Uh, and everything that he did for her, he extended towards Naomi. He respected the law, but wanted to do what was best for Ruth which I think is really interesting. I was thinking again about the whole refugee thing, right? And we have so much, uh, you know, tension in our own society about, well, uh, when, when it comes to immigration and refugee statuses, what's the law? What's the law? And then what's it look like to have compassion? And here's a man who did both. Uh, he respected the law, but at the same time, you can see his compassion drove him first, right? Um, he wanted what was best for Ruth, uh, and he made sure that he took care of her first. And he's just a godly and a, and a humble man. So, so here's the thing. You've got the kindness of Ruth, the Hesed, and the kindness of Boaz, the Hesed, and they're brought together here by God in these chapters. And I want to read to you a, a quote uh, from a woman named Stephanie Van Eyck. She wrote this in a blog post for Ligonier Ministries uh, in June of 2013. She said this. This is cool. Get this, okay? Don't, don't glean over this. It's worth noting Ruth's position in the Hebrew Bible. It's placed directly succeeding Proverbs. Okay, so for us, it's well before Proverbs. In the Hebrew Bible, it's, it's right after. Uh, as the book of Proverbs illustrates the wisdom of a righteous man, right? That's what Proverbs is. It concludes with Proverbs chapter 31 the description of the virtuous woman. Ironically, Boaz is wisdom personified. He's a wise man who acts with respect and dignity, even in the most tempting situation. Interestingly, Ruth 
a Moabitess is personified as the godly woman. In fact, the very language used to describe the Proverbs 31 woman of character whose, quote, works praise her in the gates, that's Proverbs 31, 31, is used regarding Ruth in chapter 3, verse 11, which literally reads, all the gate of my people knows that you are a woman of worth. And then she says, it's as if the compilers of the Hebrew Bible placed the book of Ruth directly after Proverbs to describe the marriage between the wise man and the virtuous woman. Right? So that's why I I said the righteous man and the virtuous woman. It's there. You have a picture here of what Proverbs is describing as sort of the ideal for godliness in both men and women. And Ruth a Moabitess, not even a Hebrew, right? A Moabitess woman is the one that we see the direct links to as to what this would look like. That's a wonderful picture of the grace of God. We see incredible hesed demonstrated through both Ruth and Boaz in this story. Now, here's the, here's the final question that I want us to, to wrestle with. Okay, You saw hesed and Ruth. You saw hesed and Boaz. You might ask this question, though. What about God? Where was the kindness of God? I saw the kindness of Ruth. I saw the kindness of Boaz. But if you go back to what Naomi was saying in chapter 1, you might have reason to doubt whether or not God was kind. Look at verse 20 and 21 again of chapter 1. She goes back to her people in Bethlehem and they say, hey, it's Naomi. And she says to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Naomi, by the way, means pleasant, and Mara means bitter. Don't call me pleasant. I'm empty. God has has dealt treacherously with me. God has has taken away everything from me. There is calamity upon me. Do not call me pleasant. Call me bitter. That's what I am. We can understand that kind of a attitude, right? When, when your circumstances go the way Naomi's have gone, and very few of ours have, but to lose your husband, to lose your children, to be in a position where you literally have Nothing, and it seems quite hopeless that you have any way of getting out of that predicament. It's really easy in those situations to say, God has dealt terribly with me. Where is God? God, you're anything but kind. Right? She has reason to feel that way. And we could say, well, yeah, but... You know, well, Ruth came along at least and, and she was kind and that was good for Naomi and, and Boaz came along and that was kind and, and that was good to, to Naomi. And, and maybe Naomi could say, well, at least people are good, but God, where's, is God good? I think that's a question we're meant to ask as we read Naomi's words in chapter 1. And here's the thing. When we see the whole story play out, we see the kindness of God, and it points us somewhere. We're we're seeing the kindness of God ultimately in Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate kinsman redeemer. Kindness of God was displayed throughout. If we look through these verses, we see it. It was the Lord who visited His people and lifted the famine back in chapter 1. 
It was the Lord who had initiated Ruth's faith and loyalty to Naomi in chapter 1. It was the Lord who had established Boaz. Boaz was a, a wealthy man with all the resources he needed, and he was a righteous man. And it was the Lord who had established him as such because Boaz gave him the glory for it in chapter 2, verse 4. Boaz said, acknowledged that it was the Lord, right? God bless you. The Lord be with you, he says to his workers today. It was the Lord who had established the Leverite law that enabled Ruth to have a redeemer. The fact that Deuteronomy 23 gave that option for Ruth was of God's doing. It was the Lord who had sovereignly purposed that closer relative to pass and to allow Boaz to marry Ruth. And as we'll see in just a minute here, it was the Lord who sovereignly chose Ruth, not just to marry Boaz, but to marry into the Davidic line and be a great-grandmother, not only to the King David, but ultimately to Jesus. Look at chapter 4 again, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may His name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to Him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. And Obed was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. And we looked at it last week. When we get to Matthew chapter 1, that genealogy continues down to Christ, right? God's said towards Ruth is all throughout this book. His said towards Naomi is all throughout this book. And in fact, her friends see it. God has been so good to you, Naomi. Look at what He's done. This is better for you. God's goodness here is seven times better than what you had before. And I mentioned that hesed means loving kindness, but I want to I want to expand on that because there's a fuller definition of the word hesed. It includes two notions. Get this. The first one is it, it, it's it's consisting in the exercise of loving kindness towards someone who deserves it, but you give it in a greater measure than they deserve. All right? I, I'm going to be kind to you. You're worthy of my kindness, but I'm going to go above and beyond and give you more kindness. That could be hesed, all right? But there's a, there's a second and more common definition. This is what's most often used in the scripture when the word hesed is offered. And it's this loving kindness towards a person who has no right at all to claim it from you. No right to your kindness, and yet you give it in abundance to them anyway. The New Testament has a gospel-derived word for this, right? What is it? What is undeserved favor? It's grace. 
So when we see this chesed, we're seeing a, a picture of what the New Testament calls grace. God's grace is all over this towards Ruth and towards Naomi. We see the ultimate picture in the New Testament of what Ruth and Boaz, this whole story, was meant to point us towards. We see the love of Jesus Christ for His bride, the church. Why this love story? Why this this culmination in a wedding? Well, Because that's exactly what God was pointing us to and what He would do when He came and He rescued the foreigner, the marginalized, the, the, the needy widow, all of us who are sinners and brought us in with, with a hesed, a kindness, a grace that was undeserved, but in which He was willing to give in abundance in order that we too might have it all culminate in a wedding. Well, we're married together with Jesus Christ forever. Jesus is the true and better Boaz because Jesus is the ultimate kinsman redeemer of His people. You know, we, we look around our, our lives today, we say this, look, we, look, we live in a world of brokenness. Just like Ruth, all of us, we live in a world of brokenness. She was a Moabite, right? She's a foreigner. She's out of place in this land. She's widowed. She's alone. She's supporting an aging mother-in-law. And I might, I might throw that out to you. Do you feel a little bit like that this morning? Do you feel a little out of place? Do you feel alone this morning? Do you feel like a foreigner this morning? Look to Boaz who gave a home to Ruth. He gave her a home and a place and it was a pointer to Jesus because this is your story this morning. Jesus gives you a home and a place. Do you feel alone? Boaz brought companionship and intimacy to Ruth. And we as the church get to be the bride of Christ and Jesus brings us into closest, most intimate relationship, the most intimate we'll ever know. Do you feel maybe the weight of caring for your parents or or your children this morning? Boaz brought relief and help to Ruth. Jesus brings relief to the weary. Doesn't He? He sees our brokenness and He comes to redeem us. He comes to bind up every wound. wound. He comes to to wipe away every tear. That's what Boaz's picture, that's what the whole picture of Kinsman Redeemer was all about. He was this for Ruth. He rescued and He redeemed her life. But Jesus is the ultimate Kinsman Redeemer for all of us who looked upon us sinful foreigners as we are with no right to His chesed. And yet He lavishes us with grace and calls us His bride. It's a beautiful picture of love. And at the end of our story, again, just like for Ruth, there's a marriage set before us. What does Ephesians 5 talk about? When, when, when Paul is giving these instructions for husbands and wives and how they are to relate to one another, he ends it with this. He says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is, this is God's design for marriage from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, right? And then what does Paul say? He says, this mystery is profound. I'm saying it refers to Christ in the church. 
The whole picture of marriage points forward to what Jesus was going to do for his own, his bride, the church. In Revelation chapter 19, we see in, in verses 6 through 9, uh, John says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult. Let us give Him all the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said, These are the true words of God. Just as the story of Ruth ends in a marriage feast, the story of our lives in Christ ends with a marriage feast because our kinsman redeemer has brought us in. So I love the story of Ruth because in it we see the kindness of Ruth. Ruth was kind. We see the kindness of Boaz. Boaz was kind. But it points us to the kindness of God in Jesus Christ. He is kinder still. Every need we have, every need that we have, not just our circumstantial needs, but the core need, our need for redemption, our need to be forgiven of sin and wiped clean and made ready to be the bride of Jesus forever, that has been met in Christ, who redeemed us not just with a sandal, but with outstretched arms on a cross where He bore the wrath of God for our sin that God might be able to accept us pure white. The righteousness of the saints made possible by the redemption of the kinsman redeemer. God is kinder still. You have everything you need in Christ. You have a perfect love story in Christ. Look to Him. Let's pray. Father, all glory to You. All glory to You. Thank You for writing down for us these incredible reminders, Lord, that You are always faithful to Your people. I I particularly, Lord, am just blessed when I read a story like Ruth because I, I know that most of us are like her and that we're... Most of us, Gentiles. Most of us, all of us. Far from You. Far from a place in which it would seem that You would be or could reach. And yet, Lord, You work out the circumstances of our lives to draw us to Yourself when You've set Your eyes on us as Your bride. And I want to pray specifically for those this morning who maybe came in here a little discouraged. Maybe they're feeling like, I, I just, I don't know. I don't know if God would, would have that kind of kindness towards me. I don't, I don't think I deserve the kindness of God this morning. Lord, I just pray that you'd impress upon those weary hearts that your said, your grace is freely given because of your love and not because of our worthiness. And then you take Ruth's and you take Rahab's and you take Bill Penalto's and you take all of us, Lord, who are without hope and you not only save us from that hopelessness, but you save us to a future. 
as your bride, as your people, as your beloved. So encourage us, Lord, to trust you this week. Encourage us to to look back at examples like Ruth and Boaz and just be reminded that, God, you are kinder still. And we praise you for your kindness and we praise you for your grace and for your love. And we, we pray that in the name of Jesus, who showed it to us perfectly. Amen.